You're listening to an EG Property Podcast. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. We're talking about life sciences and labs in London. Demand is soaring, but supply has struggled to keep anywhere near the same pace. Investors and developers now have a golden opportunity to help build new clusters and hubs for companies in up-and-coming locations across the capital. But there will still be hurdles, including land availability and problems in the planning system. In this 40-minute roundtable discussion, recorded during London Real Estate Forum Week with the support of JLL, our guests explored how London can make the most of its potential, further the UK's standing as a life sciences centre of excellence, and collaborate, rather than compete with, other established hubs. I was joined in the EG studio by Sven Bunn, Life Sciences Programme Director at Barts Health NHS Trust, Matt Fitter, Investor and Developer Lead for Life Sciences at JLL, Ivana Popovic, Head of Cluster Development at MedCity, and via Teams, James Shepherd, Managing Director at Cadence. Enjoy the conversation. Matt, I was going to ask you to set the scene for us, first of all, if we can. Um, we all know how hot the life sciences real estate market has got, and I was talking only this week with a fund manager who was telling me about a business park that he oversees within the Golden Triangle. And he said to me, we refer to it as a life sciences park now, but we only started doing that in the last couple of years. And it reminded me of other investors that I've spoken to who made quips about adding a line to an office marketing brochure that said, this has got scope for lab conversion and suddenly being able to give a boost to the the asking price. If we take off, dare I say it, some of that that froth and excitement. When you look across the capital at the moment, what, what do you see as the picture for supply and demand of life sciences space? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, absolutely. There's been there's been a lot of, um, uh, of talk around life science, and it's definitely the buzz, buzzword in, in, in a number of markets, um, particularly perhaps when some assets are finding challenges in others. Some, some are perhaps see it as a as a possible easy route out, and I think it, it's, that's probably not the case. I think it's... Um, uh, I think there's definitely been some of that life science badging, um, and I think I think that's probably becoming less and less. Albeit, you know, there is still some of that. But I think as as the market's becoming more educated, uh, I think there's a becoming a bit more of an um, an acceptance that really, you know, a life science location is a life science location because the science works and the cluster works and, and everything about the ecosystem is right, rather than it being a solution to somebody else's problem. Um, I think. You know, we talk about uh, London being hot for life, life sciences, but I think, um, and there's a huge amount of activity, but I think we take a, a step back in terms of what is really there now and what's on, on offer. Um, you know, the stat of existing supply, existing lab supply in London right now is, you know, sub 350,000 square foot. So, you know, in the sector, we all, we all love to make a comparison to Boston and, and I'll be no different, but... When we talk about you know circa 30 million square foot in in a city where you know, the population of London is something like 15 times Boston, I think, and yeah, we're at one percent of their of their supply. So I think you know that shows that there's, there's a pretty long way to go. You know, James, I'm sure we'll, we'll come onto it later, but you know, James is delivering a building, one building which is twice the size of the existing London lab supply. So that gives some context to, to where we're at at the moment. Um, I think you know when we look at uh, locations, particularly across London. 
it is specific it is you know pretty like well it's very location specific you know we talk about clusters we talk about ecosystems and we look around london and really when when, when we're asking you know where are those hot locations and some of those conversations with investment managers uh around does does their building you know fit uh, i think it you know it really does need to be in in the right spot so you know the the knowledge the knowledge quarter is probably uh, top of the list for 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 the, most, the biggest number of of, of in, in, um, investment developers, I think. Um, you know that Kings Cross, Euston, Bloomsbury area with all the good things going on around there. UCL, the Crick. Um, you've got pharma companies. You've got MSD coming in. You've got uh, all the tech around uh, Kings Cross and everything else. Um, you know the existing incubator. So I think that is you know n- number one for for a, a number of people, or or even if it's not number one for. Um, Everybody, I think the the greatest amount of players in the market have all got the knowledge quarter in there. I think if we start to look around other areas of London, um, some really interesting, you know, activity going out uh, uh, out west, you know, backed by Imperial, um, uh, White City. Um, you look south, um, the SC1 district, backed by the King's Health Partners. So you've got the guys in St Thomas's Foundation and the Trust there, and, and King's. There's a number of uh, you know those two parties are working with pri- with the private sector to deliver uh, to deliver space. So some exciting things there. And then you know looking east, I think I've got you know, two people here who are um, more knowledgeable than anybody else in terms of uh, Sven and everything that's going on at Whitechapel and, and James and, and Canary. So I think really we're looking at those uh, four to five clusters, depending on how you turn the east, how you look at the the sort of eastern eastern cluster. Um, a lot of a lot of activity, some really exciting things coming forward, um, but right now there's there's a lot to do still. And if we look further ahead, what's coming down the development pipeline that that we should be ready for in the market? So, uh, I mean, yeah, some some really really exciting projects, you know, all all across London. I mean, GLL at the moment are tracking uh, a little over five million square foot of potential lab space coming coming to London up to 2030. Now that is a is a significant number. Um, I think when you start to, to delve into that, um, that is there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot of uh, opportunities for developers to move away and do do other things, potentially move into offices. Um, James has spoken before about um, having a real focus on, on delivering life sciences as a life science focused company, but that won't be for everybody. Um, you know, within that five million square foot, we've seen that pretty evenly split across the five clusters that we've talked about. Um, uh, about eighty percent of that is probably twenty six, twenty twenty six onwards. So that you know, there's a real opportunity um, for early delivery. You know, right right now there is there is very you know all across the Golden Triangle. You know, find, finding lab space for an occupier is very very difficult. There is a you know a huge um, lack of supply and availability. So um, you know, a lot of that is backdated towards the end of the to end of the end of the decade. I mean, you, you delve into that 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 more that five million square foot we estimate only about three percent of that is actually under construction um 50 percent of that is yet to enter any form of planning process um and probably only about 15 percent of it is actually consented so it's a big number it's it's quite exciting but there's 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 a huge amount of variation um in that really sven um maybe you could tell us a bit more about the the barts campus as Matt says, Whitechapel clearly a really exciting area for the industry. What's your vision for that? And in terms of 
the real estate offering what are you what are you looking to provide that that perhaps has has been missing uh, so our vision is to really provide uh, facilities and infrastructure that uh, enable us to sort of accelerate the process of adoption of, of technology and innovation, uh, particularly into clinical practice. Uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of very bright people working on, on new ideas, new technology, um, but the time that that takes uh, to actually get into clinical practice is too long. And so our main proposition, that's uh, bringing people together, uh, working more closely, physically closely, but actually organizationally closely together as well, uh, can help to uh, really shorten that period. So we've got a set of uh, facilities and infrastructure already in place at, in Whitechapel. So uh, the medical school, uh, their biomedical research center, um, the bioincubator, uh, Queen Mary's bioincubator uh, on New Road as well, uh, plus also a very large hospital, one of the largest hospitals uh, in Europe, in fact, uh, at the Royal London. Um, what we're bringing on is, uh, uh, is up to a million square feet of, of new space, and that'll be a combination of some clinical space, uh, uh, teaching and research space for, for the university, um, but importantly, probably around uh, at least two-thirds of that development potential will be for uh, new life sciences space as a combination of uh, both um, laboratory space and, and general office space, plus you know, supporting facilities as well. Um, and our aim really, as I said, is to, to bring people together so that they can work more closely together and in particular to uh, enable those interactions with, with clinicians. So if you've got a product that might be, might be a new drug, it might be a uh, device, uh, it might be a digital device, for example, that you've got the pool of patients uh, actually there on your doorstep, the physical facilities in terms of a clinical research facility at the Royal London. Um, to be able to really, uh, you know, develop that product, refine it, um, get it ready for market, and to be able to demonstrate the use cases, as well as um, behind that having um, the the infrastructure for that original uh, discovery and development as well. That idea of collaboration is obviously so important, and Matt mentioned the idea of of clusters several times. Um, Ivana, uh, for any of our listeners uh, who might not be specialists in this area, I wonder if you can just talk a little about why the notion of a cluster is so important when we're talking about life sciences and how it's driving um, the different types of space in terms of real estate that, that are needed in a development. So when it comes to clusters in the UK, it's really interesting to see how much knowledge uh, is found in very small area of London and Golden Triangle. There is nowhere else in the world where you have six universities that are among top 40, 50 universities in the world for life sciences and medicine. It doesn't happen anywhere else. And then on top of that, you have the whole clinical infrastructure of uh, world research centers uh, in terms of the clinical development across the city and in the area around London, and a very high concentration of, um, besides the bright people, the population that you can work with, which is also uh, multicultural and ethnically very diverse. That kind of brings together everything you need to develop a new um, products that are biology or chemistry based because you have the not just the, the diversity, but also a very high genomic capabilities in the UK and a very high level of government investment. And on top of all of that, the knowledge, uh, the talent uh, and the patient population 
there is an extremely high level of private investment into the life sciences in the UK. And in the last two years during the pandemic, while other sectors were uh, having various issues uh, around uh, raising the investment, the investment in the UK has went up increasingly, specifically in areas like uh, biotech. And uh, it wasn't just driven by the needs of the pandemic, it's also uh, by the fact that UK is still very high um, on all of the charts in developing the new technologies, things like cell and gene therapy, where we are still the number one in Europe and second in the world. So there is a high level of investment, huge amount of talent to recruit from, and it's all in a very small um, geographical area. James, moving slightly out, I guess, from our discussion there on, on um, about Whitechapel, um, Kadans is working on this really high-profile scheme with Canary Wharf Group. Uh, between that and Canada Water nearby, which uh, I won't pitch these schemes against each other, but it, it feels like there's clearly scope for, uh, for a brand new hub uh, within the area for life sciences. What, what lessons do you think have been learned from the capital's other successes that you'll be, you'll be bringing to bear on on what you're doing there in, in Canary Wharf. As, as we've touched on, this is, this is really a, a, an enormous scheme in terms of the space that, that you'll eventually be able to offer there. Yeah, so, so the scheme is 800,000 square feet gross, and that is roughly the same as every single bit of commercial lab space in London right now. So in one building, we will double the volume of space. And I think one of the big learnings that we've seen from other successful clusters, both in London and outside, is developing a critical mass of organisations. And I use that very loose term, organisations, because it isn't just businesses or it isn't just academics or clinicians. The clusters that flourish tend to have a kind of balance of all three. And this is a well-trodden path. Lots of people will, will, will talk a lot about this. But one of the kind of critical elements on the commercial side, which is missed, is that life science is inherently risky. So a lot of the employees, be that senior or, or executives, need to know that they're in a location where actually if it does go pop in company one, they don't then have to uproot and move to a new city or move to a new location. And this is where I think London is super superbly advantageous over a lot of other clusters is that whether you're in Canary Wharf, King's Cross, White City or the South Bank, you're within half an hour of hundreds possibly of companies that will be looking for similar expertise. If you then factor into that accessibility of talent, and this is where I think the east of London is really, really interesting, is if you drill down into some of the demographics of places like Tower Hamlets, for example, and Sven will know this well, that actually Tower Hamlets is still one of the fewer places in London where you can get affordable accommodation. And a lot of the junior employees who work at places like the Francis Crick Institute, Imperial College, Institute of Cancer Research and others, you actually ask the PhD students and postdocs where they live. A lot of them live in East London, one, because it's still affordable, Two, it's a pretty good place to live. Uh, so actually, London is growing east, and there's a depth of talent that sits in and around that east London. And I, 
East London, you know, stretching from Whitechapel all the way out to Stratford and beyond. Crossrail is a huge, huge uh, bonus to making sure that that whole part of London is, is accessible and continues to be accessible. So actually, if I look at kind of where I think London as a cluster is, is going to grow, I believe it's going to grow out east. And, you know, cynics might say I'm obviously going to say that given the size of the building I'm building. But uh, I think if you look at the demographic, you look at the talent and you look at the volume of space that is required in London, by the companies that Matt, Ivana and Sven all, all know well, actually you're going to need to have a big space that's going to be able to accommodate these businesses, otherwise they're going to up and leave. And I was just going to add to that, I think some people, James, would probably lift an eyebrow when you when you, when you you talk about London and, and, and being an affordable place to live, but uh, I think it's a, a really good point and, and you look at some of the competition in Cambridge and Oxford, we know are the most unaffordable places to live in the country. So whilst there are elements of, of London that are clearly very expensive, um, it is a, a very large city with a wide range of housing opportunities. There's and a little international angle to that as well, I think, Matt, is that actually if you compare like for like employing a person in Boston versus employing a person in London, London is expensive, but it's still cheaper to hire the same person with the same qualifications in London than it is in Boston. And uh, the BIA, um, the Bio Industry Association, have done a lot of work comparing the cost of talent in the US versus the cost of talent in the UK. And it is considerably cheaper to build a team in the UK than it is to build. And as Ivana mentioned, you know, we're overrun with world-class universities creating brilliant, brilliant men and women at all levels. So actually what we're seeing is, as Kadans is a huge uplift in the volume of international inquiries and we won't talk about the current macroeconomic uh, circumstances that we're seeing, but it's still reasonably uh, affordable to build a business here in London, even taking into account the various affordability challenges that Matt mentioned. I think one of the other interesting things is that uh, we talked about the university sector, but actually the primary and secondary education in London is, is pretty good as well. We get really good outcomes in London and uh, in East London in particular. But one of the challenges is how do we sort of I know, inspire those children, young people um, to come forward into careers in life sciences. So, so certainly one of our aims is through, through the work we're doing is to, to open ourselves up and really to think about those uh, talent pipelines, how do we sort of talk about life sciences in, in all of its uh, dimensions as, as possible careers? How do we start to think about uh, the training programs, apprenticeships? So one of the things we're really keen on is, is working with our uh, commercial partners to um, develop those particularly apprenticeships, but other opportunities really for, for sort of expanding the scope of, of local people to get into uh, employment in, in life sciences in London as well. I think that's a fascinating point. We had a developer talking in um, in the pages of EG recently about the fact that if you're working on a scheme in Tower Hamlets, a, 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 a deprived borough within the capital, if your work there can inspire, as they put it, the next generation of scientists, uh, that's that's a huge thing to have done. And it, it feels that maybe we don't talk enough about what life sciences and life sciences real estate can actually bring to the communities in which in which it's built as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, and I think um, it's our job really, isn't it, is to sort of start to articulate what those opportunities are, uh, 
because uh, I, I just think a lot of these these career pathways are really new. <laughs> Who knew about data science scientists even like ten years ago? Um, and now we have to start talking about these roles, the sort of skills and experience that are required to get into the roles. Uh, likewise, uh, the biological sciences as well. There are some traditional routes, but things like uh, cell and gene therapy, for example, require particular um, skills and technology. Uh, and it is exciting. It is interesting, and I'm sure <laughs> sort of young people are, will be uh, uh, sort of really uh, keen to get into that. So, as I say, I think the onus is on us to um, explain what we're doing, uh, what the opportunities are, and and, and provide some of the routes into those. And I think there's, there's you know there's there's two hats to that isn't there there's there's the obvious operational and outreach programs and and there's also you know with the with the property hat on there's there is the real estate and you know creating environments you know particularly in Whitechapel where you are you know you're really in the thick of a an East London community of you know creating uh, places um, where you know science is on show and it's clear what you know there's an understanding of what is going on behind behind the walls it's not a a, a fenced off science park in 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 the middle of nowhere you know there's, there's actually some understanding of what is going on you know in these places so we did at med city earlier this year a piece of research on the benefits to the local communities from having the life sciences developments within uh, their locations and we found quite a lot of good examples of um, in particular how placemaking can be used uh, to bring in the local community into not just science, but um, thinking about the healthcare and more broadly about the education. Uh, we found some good examples, for instance, from uh, Crick and uh, some of the more recent developments where you have gallery spaces, where you have meeting spaces that are uh, appropriately developed so they are welcoming to the public, not just looking like, oh, this is a science building, I'm not going to walk in there. We found quite actually a surprising number of uh, examples across uh, London, but UK uh, as well in um, opportunities for training uh, in the life sciences, whether it's through the local universities and schools, uh, through the local councils, there is a lot of programs available, not just for people who come from the life sciences background, but for the population that doesn't have uh, those type of degrees or doesn't even have uh, a high level education. And when we come to the most important thing to, to, to most of the communities, there is a huge a benefit in terms of jobs. Every job in life sciences creates two and a half additional roles. That's uh, quite a substantial difference. The average across the sectors is one and a half additional jobs. The GVA for life sciences in the UK is uh, £104,000. And this is data from a couple of years ago, actually. The average uh, in the country is £49,000 across the other sectors. So there's an immediate um, benefit. But what we need to do is make... Um, our sector, but also uh, the real estate community and the government more aware of the, these opportunities because people see still life sciences kind of ivory towers type of um, community and see it as something that is only for people who have done their medical or biology or chemistry degrees. It's really not. It's opening up um, and it's becoming more and more um an opportunity for people to get involved um, more broadly. You mentioned their government's understanding of what the industry can do. Has that has that been where it's needed to be? I, I know we, we've had some concerns, for example, looking away from London over over 
support for the notion of the Oxford-Cambridge arc. Is, is there a feeling that government has recognised and is supportive enough of the role that, that life sciences can play economically? I think it would be foolish to complain. We are the third country in the world in terms of the R&D investment. So if we said it's not enough, I think it, it would sound spoiled, if anything else. Um, there are still opportunities to broaden that. Uh, a lot of the um, government uh, funding has went to your traditional life sciences players like universities and NHS. That can be broadened and there could be more involvement from the local governments to ensure that we are really developing um, the right type of solutions in terms of medicine and, and te new technologies uh, from early start. A lot of the government investment goes not to the industry, it goes to the uh, pub public sector organizations. There should be more funding for very early stage companies because that's what the strength of the UK and particularly of London is those small innovative companies of two to five people who are actually make, creating new technologies and those are then being taken up by larger players. Absolutely agree with Ivana's later points. I, I am going to not be afraid of sounding spoilt though because I think as a country uh, we spend a smaller proportion of our GDP on research and development than, than most other developed countries and so I think there is a, a gap and an opportunity. I also think there's something strategic about uh, having left the EU, um, thinking about how we organise uh, those th those programmes and I, I totally agree there should be a focus on, on smaller uh, organisations alongside universities and the NHS and particularly supporting how they work together and I think I'd say the main thing that's been lacking um, uh, since since we've left all those European programs has been that sense of, of strategic investment into life sciences. And so that's if I, if we had a government minister here, I think that would be my pitch. Um, Matt has touched on the the lack of supply when it comes to real estate, and uh, of course we've also spoken about how. Um, James and colleagues are going to address that with with twenty plus stories of the space, but if. If we look at the hurdles that have um, that have stood in the way of creating more space, what have what have some of the stumbling blocks been? Is it is it availability of, of of land for development? Is it the planning system? Is it is it something else? Is it is it a combination? What has what has prevented us creating more life sciences space in in the capital? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll go first and, and then see what James got to add after. But I would probably say all of above, to be honest. I think you know we talk about locations you know being being absolutely fundamental in london uh, and unfortunately those locations in london you know there are there are high values for other uses in those locations so um you know the competition are you know competing with competing with other uses in a sector where is inherently risky you know creates challenges um i think uh, planning is 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 complex in london um i don't think our, our planning policy uh, the london plan and and uh local plans um for boroughs were not written with life sciences in mind i, I i'm of the, the the opinion you look at some somewhere like hamden for example where if you're going to exist if you're going to extend a building then the additional space uh, in the central activity zone should be 50 percent residential well you know, that creates some challenges when you're doing an office building that creates a whole heap of additional challenges when you're doing a lab building so you know, clearly there's, there are there are routes around in discussions but if you're if you're in a market trying to acquire land uh, competing with other uh, 
uh, other uses there are some you know pretty significant significant challenges are really there around you know trying to find land that is suitable you know you can deliver you may be you know, we we'll obviously there's a real focus now on uh, refurbishing buildings considering sustainability and you know embodied carbon and and that's fantastic for and there are some great opportunities going on you know in london life sciences schemes uh, that are coming forward but that's not going to work for for every building so yeah absolutely land availability i think number one um uh, and planning's definitely definitely in there james any additional thoughts from you on that yeah, I think I think the availability point is is a good one. I think you know, the London office market has historically been incredibly strong, which means it's just been too easy for developers just to build an office, let it to a tech company or a law firm or a financial services institution, job done, move on to the next one. Um, so there hasn't been the requirement for people to get, let's say, innovative. And I think the second point is there's been a lack of expertise in the UK market of how to design, develop, deliver, and most importantly, operate these buildings. Uh, some of that is changing. Some of that's getting better. You know, you've got a good number of people now learning about designing these spaces, picking up best practice from the US or Asia or, or other arguably more developed markets. It's one thing designing and building a building, quite another operating a life science building. and that level of expertise is still not really here, I don't think. No, don't get me wrong, that will come over time as more buildings come and more people develop the expertise. But I think, yeah, that, that point around, and I'm not pointing the finger at anyone in particular, you know, it's right across the kind of professional services spectrum. Is you know, A lot of people were building academic labs for a long time. It's very different to building a commercial lab. You know, you had variety of different approaches, which meant that it was arguably unaffordable. And, you know, you didn't have that depth of expertise across the market to be able to design, develop, deliver and operate these spaces. So that is all starting to change. There's multiple different factors that, that kind of go along with it. But yeah, there's still some gaps that I think need to be ironed out. So to that point of expertise, what are and we've touched on on sort of life sciences badging what are some of the nuances to operating in this space as, as a real estate player that specialists would appreciate but which might let's say trip up a, a less educated asset owner or, or developer well i think you know what starting at a kind of quite high level one of the, the things that I get slightly irritated about is the concept of a lab enabled office that really doesn't mean anything at all um an office is an office and a lab is a lab it's like comparing a data center to a hotel they are completely different and by just purely making that kind of distinction you'll start to notice some big differences and a lot of the differences come in the bits that you won't see when you go on a tour around a building it's things like oxygen monitors and goods lifts, it's clinical waste rooms, chemical waste rooms. It's all of these different elements that are not particularly sexy, but are absolutely vital to making sure these buildings function and, and work properly, because you can't just dump your bag of clinical waste on the side of the road and hope that the council come and pick it up. That's not how it works. Uh, so 
it's a lot of the stuff which makes these buildings tick is the stuff that you can't see. And then if you elongate that into the kind of engineering in these buildings, it is vibration criteria, it's air changes, it's the ability to move around different parts of, uh, sorry, ability to move air around the building. And we've mentioned cell and gene therapy a couple of times. You know, that could potentially lead to high containment labs. It could lead to GMP manufacturing. You know, these are sub asset or sub asset classes within the broader scheme of life sciences that require very different base designs and require very different, uh, very different approaches to operation. So a lot of it is stems from really understanding who your target audience is. And I think you know the sort of building we build in London be very different to the sort of building we build in Glasgow. Uh, and that's just a response in part to the local market and part to the expertise. Uh, Ivana mentioned London's strength in cell and gene therapy. That's that's not changing. We're going to see more and more of that going forward. So a lot of it, it stems from understanding really who you're building for and ultimately then working back and figuring out what do those companies need and it isn't just as simple as a gross and a net number. It's everything that sits behind the closed doors that you don't see or above the ceiling that you don't see. That's really what differentiates these buildings and makes them laboratory buildings, not laminated offices. Where does London need to see itself competing with nationally? We've talked about the Golden Triangle and it feels like we rarely talk about Cambridge and Oxford and, and London necessarily competing that it, it's sort of complementary cities across that area and the fundamental strengths that that Ivana outlined across the region are, are clear but there are also lots of cities that feel like up-and-coming locations for real estate space in this in this industry um, so without without making the suggestion that, that we can be complacent, where where does London need to keep a watchful eye on in terms of other emerging hubs for life sciences nationwide? Well, if you look at it historically, in the Golden Triangle, it was uh, Cambridge always led in the pharma biotech. Um, Oxford became known for the medical devices and... Um, any kind of um, a very uh, complex technologies. And London did a bit of both, but became really a hub for anything to do with data science. And is probably within our region is the leader in that. Because in London, there is such a diverse um, research. We really are looking at every subsector when it comes to who should we compete with because we have a very uh, clear strengths in every subsector of life sciences and medicine. If we go broadly to the UK, um, there has been the government push, but also historically the North has been known for the manufacturing. With some of the new technologies, you need manufacturing actually very close by. So for the things like cell and gene, we need to develop those um, capabilities uh, within the city or very close to the city. Um, there is there was a push from the previous um, Secretary of State and uh, Innovation Minister to push for uh, a lot of manufacturing, but then developing that into the R&D capability for the devices in the north. And there are some big developments uh, in there. So if you look at the 
Birmingham, uh, they are building uh, quite a, a large accelerator and a number of buildings that are going to be uh, for the devices, but also for uh, the precision medicine, which kind of goes exactly in the space where London sees themselves as uh, number one. Uh, there have been developments in Manchester over the last couple of years and have been quite successful. Edinburgh, uh, with their innovation quarter, there's a lot of things popping up in different places. What we need to le learn to do as a community uh, across UK is to really help each other instead of compete. There is plenty of business for everyone. It's just finding those strengths and working on the regional uh, benefits, but in a way that, I mean, life sciences is a very complex um, area. You have very long pipeline of development of any type of product, and it's becoming more and more complex because a lot of the new uh, uh, technologies incorporate the digital, the device, and sometimes also therapeutic side. So there's plenty to do. We just need to learn to work more with each other instead of compete, especially when it comes to funding, because we don't, sometimes internationally, we don't look like we're working together. It's more of South versus North or mm. London versus everyone else. So I'm asking the wrong question. It's about collaboration, not competition. Yeah, it should be about collaboration, uh, especially in the post-Brexit time, because we need to re basically reinstate our position in the world. And we've been very focused on collaborations with Europe. We need to learn how we can continue that, but also uh, build those collaborations more broadly. I'd agree with that. And I think there are two practical aspects that really need to sort of uh, on, on both the NHS and the university side, we need to think carefully about uh, one is about data. Um, and even even across London, if you have, let, let's say, uh, sort of um, a total healthcare data set of, of 10 million people, once you start looking down at specific cohorts of, of people within that with, with specific conditions meeting particular characteristics, you're down at sort of sample sizes of, of sort of hundreds, low so, well, let's say hundreds to low thousands, which, which aren't really sufficient to be able to create these um, uh, machine learning algorithms that uh, then can be reliably used uh, more widely. So you need a much larger um, uh, patient uh, basis, uh, population basis for those those data sets. Uh, and then the second area is in terms of clinical trials, and it's a very similar situation. Is is that recruiting uh, patients to clinical trials is is lengthy and time consuming. Um, and if we can do that in partnership rather than sort of, you know, trying to scrabble uh, between us to, to attract those patients to those trials, I, I think um, that would really, um, you know, promote uh, uh, the UK widely, but let's say London in particular as a destination for life sciences investment. Perfect. Well, I think we, we've had quite a London-centric conversation, as you, would, as you would see fitting during LREF week. But uh, I think it's, it's quite inspiring to end on that note about what the UK as a whole can do to to grasp the potential here so sven matt ivana james uh, i know this these conversations will will carry on there's a lot of opportunity still to be grasped but for now thank you all for sharing your time and thoughts with eg today and thank you for listening for more coverage of life sciences real estate as well as all of eg's other news data and analysis head to www.egi 
www.co.uk slash news. 